Let's pray. Oh, gracious God, we thank you for the, the sacred word. Father, as you have revealed it to us through your, your servants, Father, the words of Jesus, the words of the apostles, the words of the prophets. Father, help us to grip our hearts. We want to be your people. We want to have your priorities. We want to be disciplined in the race. But Father, we don't run the race alone. You run the race with us. And for that, we give you thanks. Amen. I'm really glad we've done this series. I think there's nothing more important to us in our growth than the, the sacred word, the Bible. And we've looked at verses. We've got a couple more left. 1 Corinthians today, John 3, and then John 11:35. Jesus wept. And I'm really looking forward to preaching on that one. It's no joke. That's an important one. We have two examples of people who have run the race really well. One of them is our wonderful sister, Beth Swanson, went to be with the Lord. By the way, her service is on 10.30 on Thursday here at church, and we'll celebrate a life that was well-lived. I've had the wonderful privilege of journeying with her through her three years of, of the journey with uh, her cancer. And she has been an enormous source of encouragement to me. Uh, we've spent countless hours together talking about life, and she talks about the importance of life. But there was something about there, when people have genuine faith, it's not, it's not phony. You know, sometimes you can pick up the phony stuff. You can see people, it's not phony. And she really believed that she hoped that she could continue to live this life because she certainly had things that she wanted to accomplish in the life of her family. But she also recognized that she didn't that she would have the privilege of spending eternity in the presence of Christ. And that was real to her. It was no phony thing. And so Beth is an example for us in our church as a per person who has run the way race well. Uh, Harold Sorvik is in the hospital, by the way, folks. We get the word out to you. He fell and hit his face and broke three ribs. And in the hospital, he got cancer. I mean, not cancer, excuse me, please. He got um, pneumonia. And so he's struggling. He's struggling. Um, he's getting better, slowly better. But you need to pray for him. We need to encourage him. And he is another person who is just a wonderful example of a person throughout his whole life has run the race so well. I'm just so pleased to have known a person like Harold who loves Jesus and has walked faithfully with him. There are examples, as many other examples that have gone before us. You know, it's very, very important that we in our lives end strong. Now, that isn't just a message for us older folks to run strong. We never know when our time comes, when we will not be on this earth. And so for all of us, running the race and finishing well is really important. My brother wrote a book. It didn't get published. He's had other books that have got published. But he didn't publish this one because maybe they didn't figure it sell enough books. But he wrote a book on uh, how people ended in the Bible. How was their, their lives of people in the Bible? And the sad reality is that there are many of them that didn't end strong. Many of them, when it came to the final chapter of their lives, they were not walking faithfully with God or with Jesus. And so talk about running the race, and running the race with, with fervor and dedication is so important for us as a people of faith. Um, we have runners in this congregation. I know we have, run we have marathon runners in this congregation, those foolish folks. 
that run them like that. And they're amazing, but uh, I'm not going to endeavor on that, to do that. But I had two little, uh, my uh, granddaughters that ran in a race. Look at the two of them. I didn't even, that's the first race Lola has ever run in. And these two, it was raining, and they were out there. They were going. They were going to run this race. I don't know how many miles it was. It was a shorter one. But I'm so proud of them that they, and they, they actually almost have a smile on their face as they're running. And so I'm proud of my grandchildren. I'm proud that they run the race. And we know how difficult it is for people that run in marathons. It gets to a certain point where you figure you can't go on anymore. You've hit the wall, they call it, and you just can't go on anymore. And at times like this, they encourage people to take one step at a time. Focus on one step at a time. You know, sometimes we hit the wall spiritually. We hit the wall and we say we can't go on anymore. We've had enough. We just can't face the challenges anymore. And spiritually, I think we have to do the same thing. We have to take one step at a time. Trusting God one step at a time. So I want to just for a few moments talk about running the race and how we run the race as the people of faith. But as always, I want to give you the bigger context. So as we run this race, up there is my favorite verse, and I've quoted this often to you, Ephesians 2 and 8 and 9, for by grace we've been saved through faith. It's not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. And we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, and this is the important element, unto good works that he has before ordained for us. And I think that's one of the most powerful verses we find in the Bible to give us a context to the running of this race. It's a recognition that all we have is a gift from God. His grace is a gift to us that is undeserved. Anybody who feels that they're deserving of God's grace are disqualified from his grace. For it's a gift of God by faith, trusting in what is true. And it's a gift from God. And it's not on the basis of performance or works that we do of any kind. We have to realize that we are spiritually broken. And that we on our own, there's no way in any way, shape, or form by our own goodness or by our behavior that we can achieve this standing with God that is so important for us as the people of faith. The gospel, you understand, this core of the gospel is, 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 is what Christ has done for us, the receiving of the gift. And then we live it out in the good works that he asks us to do. There's a broader description of the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. He's building his kingdom. But we have to understand that there is the core of the gospel. The core of the gospel is, is, is what is right there in that passage. The gospel starts first with the inner transformation of people. Where people say, I desire to follow Christ. I desire to receive the powerful gift of his grace. But let's not mistake it, folks. It's therefore unto good works that we live it out as a result of his grace in our lives. We live it out unto good works. It is not possible to be saved on the basis of works. There's another thing that's impossible. You can't claim Christ and his grace and say that nothing ever happens in your life. You can't claim Christ and say, maybe I raised my hand at a Billy Graham crusade years ago, and I haven't done anything for Jesus. But somehow I want to claim that grace. 
the combination of realizing that we're not saved on the basis of our works, but they're what flows from genuine faith is works of righteousness, fruits of the Spirit. Do we do it all well all the time? Absolutely not. I'm the example of that. But there's a tenacity that we say, I still desire to live it out in my life. The fear is, however, if we omit the grace and we're focusing on the grace, what the Christian life becomes is nothing more than duty, a bunch of do's and don'ts, and it's become such performance-based. And if we do not focus and internalize the fantastic grace of God, we will find ourselves living some sort of duty-bound Christian life which isn't the Christian life at all. We serve God out of deep gratitude what he has done for us. We run the race because he ran the race for us. He gave his life for us. He desires us to give our lives to him in service. There's another passage that's so important in the context is Philippians chapter 2. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, the Apostle Paul says. After he talked about Christ's example for us, he says, will you work out your salvation with fear and trembling? There is the human responsibility in this partnership that we share with God. We have to work. But then he says, what does he say? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, but we know that we have God who's in us to will and to work unto his good pleasure. The greater partner in this partnership is God himself. The greater partner in this partnership is Jesus through the power of the Spirit, the the Spirit who has our back, like the message last week. We work hard. We work hard as God works hard for us. If you think that the life of faith is you're just going to kick back and let the Spirit of God move you along, we're fooling ourselves. At the same time, if we think it's all up to us, it's all up to our efforts, it's even worse. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God to in, in us to will and work to his good pleasure. 1 Corinthians 10 says God is faithful. He'll be there through the difficult times. In the Lord's Prayer, it says, please help us in our moments of temptation because we desperately need God. Do you understand that? Do you understand the power of grace? Do you understand the core gospel, how important it is? That we recognize it's based upon what Christ has done for us. We receive that gracious gift. Do we understand, therefore, it's necessary to realize that we don't sit? We have to live out the life of faith. It's part of the bigger equation of what it means to follow Christ. So for a few moments, what is needed to be effective as a believer from this wonderful passage that was read this morning from Paul's writings? There's two things that are critically important. Our part of the equation, folks, okay? Last week I talked about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Now I'm talking about our part. We, two things, we must be purpose-driven. And second, we must exercise self-control. With these two things, I don't think it's possible to, to live the kind of life of a believer unless we recognize we have to be riveted by the purposes of God. We have to be, understand that it, we have to exercise self-control and discipline in our lives in this journey of faith. There's many purposes in the, in the world. Sometimes there's many purposes in our lives as the people of faith. Many of them good. Many of them commendable. But I think in verses 19 through 23 of our passage that was read for us, I think the Apostle Paul focuses us on what is primary and what is critical and what is most important. I'm amazed in the context there of that passage as then he talks about this race. He talks about the importance of helping people to win others to Christ. 
have those folks join the great spiritual parade and then grow as wholehearted followers of Jesus. We are called, first and foremost, to be witnesses of Christ, witnesses of the redeeming power of Christ, but it has to be done in words as well as deeds. And Paul is riveted by that. In a passage of Romans, he said, I wish that I would be condemned to hell so that my fellow brother Jews, my brothers would come and sisters would come to faith in Jesus. He was willing to say, I'll give up my life so that they could come to experience Christ. He calls himself a slave to Christ. The purpose of the primary goal of the Christian faith is not to make a better world, folks. That's not the primary goal of the, of the, of the life of faith, believers. It's help to help people come to know Jesus. It's helping people, once they come to know Jesus, help them to experience this new life that we can experience in Christ. That's powerful. The implications of that are, are now we can experience and for all eternity. By the way, the best way to make a better world is for people to come to Christ, for people to center their life in, the, in, in living the faithful life and following Jesus is probably the best contribution we can make to a better world. In my life, I'm not very interested in talking to unbelievers about their lifestyles. I'm really not too interested in talking about them about their lifestyles, quite frankly. Some believe, unbelievers live pretty moral lives. But I more deeply care about them so much that I want them to experience the grace and the love of God. I have no expectations that they will live the disciplined life of a believer. Why should we have that expectation? What we desire more than anything else, that they would come to experience the powerful love and grace of Christ. Paul has a burning passion. It doesn't matter what it takes. I desire people to know Christ. Jesus had that same purpose. All the encounters of his miracles and his encounters with people was always to get them to encounter God. He wanted them to understand who he was. To Zacchaeus and Matthew, Matthew, he says, get out of your tax booth. Come and follow me. Come and experience me. Come and understand it. This relationship with my heavenly Father. Follow him as disciples. Today is the same. Paul limits all freedoms for the cause. And he tailors it so well to the individual. Oh, Peter's great sermon on Pentecost was a magnificent sermon if you were a Jew. If you weren't a Jew, you'd be scratching your head saying, who's he talking to? You have the apostle, the apostle Paul who gave his great famous sermon on Mars Hill and he was speaking to a Greco pagan audience and he tailored his message so beautifully to them. If we're going to run the race and finish the way strong, not limp, limp across the line, we need to be driven by the purposes of God, the central purposes of God. We're not going to be like on a, the analogy of a runner who runs aimlessly or a boxer who beats the air. We need to live purpose-driven lives. It's no excuse that we're living extraordinarily busy lives. It's no excuse. Because the life of a disciple of Jesus Christ is lived out in the midst of the chaos of our everyday experience. Folks, in our lives, if we want to run the race strong, we must understand God's priority, his love for people, his desire that they come to experience him. We need to be riveted by that purpose and riveted by helping people become wholehearted followers of the living Christ. 
Also in this race, the Apostle Paul talks a lot about exercising self-control. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. The Spirit is working so that we have self-control in our lives. In the context of our central passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we see the example is Israel's failure in their journey. The example is there for us so that we run the race strong in our journey of life. You know the story. Moses comes down on the mountains and he sees them worshiping the golden calf, which is such a blasphemy because it could have been the calf modeled after one in Egypt or simply maybe the ones of the Canaanites. And they were participating in idolatry and and revelry and sexual explosion was happening in these pagan rites that they were doing. And they had just experienced so much of God's grace bring him to this point. But they set their hearts on evil things. And their failures are warnings to us. Three things that they participated in as warnings to us. The first is idolatry. The golden calf they worshipped, and they didn't believe that the calf was God. They believed God is enthroned on the calf. But eventually what happens, you don't worship that God, you worship the object. And so in this case, they were bowing down, having this, this, this pagan rite of festival in contrary to living God. See, the, the issue of idolatry for us is anything that takes us away in the place of God is idolatry. It takes great courage, in my mind, to follow faithfully Christ these days and to not participate in forms of idolatry. Self-control moves us to only worship the one and only God. Jesus gives examples of family, how important they are, but he's more important. He gives an example of riches in the rich young ruler, but he says Jesus, living a life for him, is more important than riches. And so anything that we put as a greater priority than the worship of the living God is a form of idolatry. And for all of us in our lives, at times we do participate in idolatry. I do at points in my life. And at that point, we've got to turn back to the, again, to the the living God. We've got to turn back to him. Also in this passage, we see that they didn't live moral lives, sexual orgy, all contrary to God's standards. I want to reinforce to you over and over again that the the standards of God, the Old Testament law, even though its purpose was to also move us towards grace. As Paul also says, the law is good. The Old Testament law is good because it shows us the righteous standard of God. And folks, as you unpack and as you study and as you look at the scriptures, you need to understand that everything was given there. And I don't understand it all, believe me. I don't understand all the laws that are given. But I want you to understand that God gave them to us for the well-being of people. It's not just to make our life more miserable, but he wants us to follow him because it's best for us and the protection for us. He lays out his standards for us because he loves us so dearly. Sex outside the bounds of marriage is sin, folks, just quite clearly. We're not supposed to talk about that stuff now. That's a clear standard of the scriptures. And what were they doing here? After God had done so much for them, as he had brought them so graciously and done so much, they simply repudiated his law. But it's more than just that. Moral lives is, are we honest with people? Are we deceitful in our dealings with people? Are we greedy? Are we gossipers? And one of the more important one to me in today's push and shove in today's culture is, do we value the worth of all human beings? Do we value the worth of all human beings from conception to the grave? If we understood what it means to value all human beings, we go a long way in this journey. 
We go a long way in this race before us. Folks, we need to discipline ourselves. It's tough. It's tough at times to discipline ourselves, but that helps us become new. I have great hopes that as Christians, we'll act Christianly. God's standard is for our good. As we gather, we want to edify. We want to challenge. We want to encourage ourselves to have self-control of our bodies and our lives as the Holy Spirit is working with us. The third thing that was a failure in the the race was that they were ungrateful. They were not thankful. They grumbled and complained even when God was so faithful. Did you read the passage when it was written? All the things that he had done for them. All the things that he had provided for them. Self-control is about gratitude. Brennan Manning says, I believe the real difference in American church is not between liberals and conservatives, fundamentalists, charismatics, Republicans, or Democrats. The real difference is between the aware and the unaware. When somebody is aware of the love that the Father has for us through Jesus, that person is spontaneously grateful. Cries of thankfulness become the dominant characteristic of the interior life, and the byproduct of gratitude is joy. We are not joyful, then become grateful. We are grateful, and it makes us so abundantly joyful. Self-control. Riveted by the purposes of God. And finally, folks, there's the crown of life. Five times in this short passage, he uses the word prize or crown, the victor's wreath when one wins a race in the ancient world. The prize. What is the prize? David Jeremiah says, he says, it's the victor's crown. It's the crown of rejoicing, the crown of righteousness, the crown of life, the crown of glory. He finds all those in the scriptures. I'll take any one of those. But to continue running the race because of the eternal rewards, the eternal, and the rewards of eternal life is now. Eternal life is lived when we come to experience Christ. We live in a life in light of the eternal. And then the unbelievable promise at the end of being in the presence of the living Christ. See Jesus face to face. Share eternity with the triune God. And the absence of evil is a fantastic prize. So we fall down and we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. Look at my two granddaughters. They got medals. Lola got fourth. I'm so proud of her. She ran the whole race, didn't she? She ran the race and so did Nora. And look at the smiles on their face as they do. Folks, the Apostle Paul gives us great instruction. He wants us to run this race to the end, to our last breath. We can never become complacent. And our part, again, is to be riveted by God's purposes, living in that reality. And we must live self-disciplined lives, but always in the remembrance that it is God who is in us by his spirit to will and to work to his good pleasure. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for the, the instructions of your servant, who at the end of his life, he was tired, as we read in his latter writings, and he's exhausted. He asked that the people would just come and visit him. He asked that they would just bring some books to him. He felt so alone. But he had run the race so well. And when he laid his head for the axe to fall, 
He did it in faithful service to Christ. Father, may we be faithful all the days of our lives. Amen.